All right, everyone, welcome to the Above Average Football Fan Podcast for above average football fans and below average football fans who want to learn more about the game, or if you're a football junkie, this is the podcast for you. We're glad you're here, and we hope you enjoy it. All right, everybody, here we are for episode six of season two of the Slightly Above Average Football Fan. I am here, as always, with my good buddy, Mr. Brand New ACL himself, Thomas Bowen. Thomas, say hello to the people. Oh, it never gets old. I love it. I love it. Looking forward to talking some good ball this week. Absolutely. So as usual, we'll start off with our biggest takeaways from the previous week, which in this case is week three. I think the first thing I'm going to start off with is Alabama is not the team I thought they were. Uh, Now, I did mention last episode, I think, if I remember correctly, that I was kind of curious if Florida was their first real test, if Florida was the first real good team they had played. And seeing what, what Miami's done, it looks like they were. And in seeing that Bama, while still not a, a bad football team by any means, a very good team, is not the dominant team I thought they were. Um, so that's my biggest takeaway. And my, and my second takeaway is really these taunting calls are just ridiculous ridiculous and so subjective and so absurd and and it's just let's let's let these guys play football and and, you know as long as you're not hitting somebody or or doing something silly like that if you want to talk a little junk flexing somebody's face then you know what if you don't like that don't let them do it next time and I I just it drives me nuts I, I hate it I hate that call big plays are being negated by it and just that's my biggest takeaways Bo and what about you you know, and before I before I really get to my takeaway, I want to agree with you. And I thought there was a call in South Carolina game last week, and I don't remember who it was, but uh, big catch. It may have been Josh Van's catch, um, but he didn't even flex over him. I, I don't. Of course, we don't know what he said, but I, I didn't even see a lot of body language from him. So I thought that was a very ticky tack play. Um, that was that was a little ridiculous. I'm with you. Let him play a little bit. Let him. Right. We we want them to have some emotion. That's what we like about American football, right? Absolutely. Not a bunch of flopping out there. That's um, one of the things I noticed. Shot at European football right there, folks. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Still love Ted Lasso. <laughs> um, one of the things I noticed is uh, that, that a lot of people have really been talking about is Clemson. And particularly, Clemson has major offensive problems. Clemson has, has of course, always been or always in, in the recent era, in the Dabo era, where they've really been just clicking at a high pace. Uh, they've always had dominant defenses, but they've also had dominant offenses the last year. Uh, we, we've mentioned this before, how they just they just reload at quarterback, but they've got a lot of issues here. DJ does not look like himself. Granted, we had a smaller sample size from last year, but he looks really shaky and decisive. Tony Elliott, offensive coordinator, has been taking a lot of heat. Some of it, maybe deservedly so. We mentioned that last week as well. But it, I think there's some merit to it. But there's one piece that a lot of people that, that I've noticed that I think a lot of people are not talking about as an issue on this offense is the wide receivers. And I know there's a lot of people listening right now that talk about Ngata, Ross, Lass, and all those guys. They've got great big receivers. And they're right. They do. But, but here's the thing. If you look at their wide receivers, and they've always had great wide receivers of late, but they're all currently on this year – this year's squad, they're all big physical guys who like to get down the field and they use their size to, to, and strength to out-physical DBs. But one of the things they're missing this year 
is that quick, shifty wide receiver, the guy that can get separation for easy five to 10 yard catches. Those, those big downfield guys, it takes some time to get separation from DBs. And you've got to have a quarterback that is either A, protected by a really good offensive line and can give him the time to let those separations develop, or you've got to have somebody that's mobile and can move that pocket and, and flex things a little bit. And that's, that's one of the big problems here. Uh, it's kind of uh, reminiscent of Renfro. They could really use a guy like that, quick, quick twitch, shifty kind of guy. Um, so I think that's one of their biggest issues because it doesn't give DJ time to get a lot of high percentage throws and build a lot of confidence behind that offensive line. And he's a little shaky. So I think people really need to start looking at that as another issue with that offense. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and we'll be getting into Clemson NC State here in just a second. And I'll talk a little bit more about kind of what you're talking about there, piggyback on it. But uh, just for the folks who may be new to the show, we're going to now look at Clemson and their game this week against NC State, South Carolina versus uh, Kentucky. And then our game of the week this week, our game of the week, I'm pretty excited about it, is going to be Texas A&M and Arkansas. We're going to talk about how much I love Sam Pittman and what that man is doing down in Arkansas. But first, let's talk Clemson-NC State. Thomas, you hit the nail directly on the head. When I look at this Clemson offense, if you're a new listener, we've broken down their offense on numerous occasions. You can go back and listen. We even did a Clemson preview show um, that made both of our skin crawl. But – we are exactly right, Thomas. The, everybody's talking about it. What is wrong with the Clemson offense? Um, and it starts with DJ. He does not look comfortable. He does not look like a guy who knows what he's doing. Um, that's just not going to work. Uh, you know, when he played NC, or excuse me, Notre Dame and BC last year, he didn't look like that guy. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's changed. You know, I'm not going to be the guy that's going to say, well, you know, he's, gotten into this uh, NIL stuff and is more interested in making commercials than he is in his playbook and yada, 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 all that nonsense. But something's off. Something's off. He's not comfortable. He's not seeing the field well. And that's just not who he has been. And again, like you said, last season was a very small sample size. But at this point, really with quality opponents, we really only have them against two quality opponents. Again, no disrespect, South Carolina State Bulldogs. You you knew going in that that was a game that you were there to get your check and go home. And so if you look at Georgia and you look at Georgia Tech, he really just doesn't look like he's comfortable. And I think you're exactly right, Thomas. They don't have that check down route, uh, a mesh concept, an easy quick out, a slant that he can get one of those shifty guys and they can take it seven, eight yards, 10 yards, 12 yards when he's only thrown at two or three. And that's a great confidence builder for quarterbacks. And it's just not there right now. Also, they can't establish the run. They, they you know, they just can't get it going. And, and, you know, again, South Carolina has had some similar issues. And we'll talk about that when we get to them. But this is not the offense that's in its first season. This is not the offense that has a new coaching staff and all of those things. And there's five stars all over the field. You know, Thomas, you and I have talked about it before. Not every five-star pans out. And, it, and, you know, Clemson has been and had the good fortune of that, you know, you had Deshaun Watson and then you had Trevor Lawrence, two guys who panned out in college, two guys who led you to championships, who lived up to the expectations that you wanted them to be. And right now, that is not who DJ is. Also, there's trouble in paradise. 
uh, Lynn J. Dixon has transferred the senior most running back on this team. And I'll be honest with you. And again, this is not the Gamecock fan in me. I just think coach Sweeney got a little out out of sorts at a press conference. You can't sit there and say, he's got to grow up. He's got to grow up. He's like, that is not a good look, man. You do not look like a player's coach, which is who you're supposed to be. You're supposed, that's who your role is on your team. You are the player's coach. You're the love them up guy. That is not who you are, bro. And you got to really control your emotions. I bet Dabo's frustrated. Um, but that has just got to, to roll back. And that's not going to look good in the future for, for him right now, in my opinion. They are starting Will Shipley uh, against NC State at running back, the true freshman. High, highly thought of five star from the state of North Carolina. Everybody wanted him, so that you know maybe that starts the spark for them. But right now they're in trouble. And, and you mentioned Tony Elliott. You know we kind of got on here a couple weeks ago and defended him. And I do think it's it's not all Tony, but just everything looks off. And honestly, when we think about it, since the Ohio State game of last January, Clemson's offense hadn't looked great, and, and they've looked lost. And, you know, it just has the rest of the country caught up with them. And so now we, we have to answer that question. I mean, that game was, was a dogfight. It was ugly. And, it, and Tech really could have won that ball game easily. So now they're going on their first true road game to NC State. And NC State, you know, has had some success here. Recently had a, a tough loss at, Miss, at Mississippi State. We'll talk about that in a minute. But – this is not a cake cupcake team, and you're going to their stadium, and you're going to get their Super Bowl because you are their Super Bowl right now. Their fans are going to be loud. They, they know you're struggling on offense. They are going to mess with your head. Thomas, tell the folks about the NC State defense. Yeah, so, uh, you know, you're absolutely right with NC State. They, they've had some success of late, and, and really if you look at, you know, their competition this far – they smashed South Florida and Furman, lost that Mississippi State game 24 to 10. But I, I do want to point out, if you really dig into that game, uh, one of Mississippi State's touchdowns was a kick return. So that was really and truly offense against defense. That's a one possession game, um, which really shows a lot for that pass happy offense that Mississippi State is that Mike Leach likes to run, slings it all over the yard. Um Defensively, schematically, very briefly, uh, defensive coordinator Tony Gibson, he's a 3-3-5 kind of guy. He likes to be very opportunistic with his blitzes. Um, He brings them from a lot of different places. I think uh, NC State's defensive game plan coming into this game, particularly based on everything we've said thus far, is going to be to – they're going to load the box. I'm talking eight nine guys in the box, the same thing that Georgia Tech did to them and make them beat them right there because they know that their passing game is not there. Now, as you mentioned, the running game falls squarely on Shipley's shoulders. Uh, true freshman, correct? Is he a true correct. freshman? True freshman, true freshman. Yeah. So in, in, in a big road test, I mean, ACC or not, Carter Finley gets loud. It's going to be rocking there. It's, it's going to be – they're going to load that box and make them have to throw the ball. And I think they're going to bring a lot of very blitzes, a lot of corner blitzes also to really keep DJ shaky and on his feet – he's off his feet, excuse me, and he's not going to be able to get settled in. This is a defense that is second in the ACC in defensive efficiency 
running the ball, they're only giving up about 2.8 yards per carry. So they really put a lot of emphasis on stopping the run. And I think, honestly, this Clemson offense that is struggling, as we mentioned, they've really, really got this. They've got their work cut out for them in this game. I absolutely agree with you. And the thing about a 3-3-5, we're going to talk about it again a little bit more when we talk South Carolina. Having a true nose, having a true zero tech, is really a, a tough deal for your offensive line. And Clemson's offensive line has not been playing great. Peyton Manning even mentioned this uh, on Monday Night Football with, with he and Eli's broadcast about how he hated playing against three, four defenses because that three-man line, it just throws everything off. It throws off your vision. It throws off so many things. And the 3-3-5, three, three, which is one of my favorite defenses, be- because I would ha- I hated – to prepare against it as a coach because you just don't know who's coming and who's not. And with you've got DJ who's confused, this is a recipe for disaster for Clemson on the road. I, I'm not saying they're going to lose this game. This is going to be a big, big test. Switching gears over to the NC State offense, Tim Beck is their offensive coordinator. He was hired last year away from Texas. The NC State offense had been rather stagnant. Last year, he helped that offense turn around. The team finished 8-4. and four. Um, mostly a shotgun based offense, three and four wide receivers. They're going to, you're going to see two and two formate by, uh, excuse me, two by two formation folks. What that means is two wide receivers, each side of the field, you're going to see three by one and, and things of that nature. Then you're going to see some zone blocking inside zone, outside zone with that RPO run pass option piece. It is your quintessential right now, college football offense. It's not out of the box crazy, but it's also not old school and, and all that. It's getting the job done. <coughs> Excuse me. And so that's what they're going to try and do. NC State has struggled in their one loss to Mississippi State. You're right. It was a kick return that was a really blew that one open. But they struggled to run the ball. And as a result of that, it messed up their passing game a great deal. Their quarterback, Devin Leary, I'm not sure if he's related to Dennis Leary from Rescue Me and and all of the good things, but I just don't know. But that would be awesome if he was. He had a rough game against Mississippi State, really struggled on third and long. He completed only 45% of his passes on third and long. As much as Clemson's offense is struggling, Clemson's defense is not And they're going to bring pressure, particularly if they can get him in those third and long situations, because like I just finished saying, they did not have a lot of success in their one loss this season on third long situations. Their running back is, it's, oh man, it looks like Donovan with a Z. So Zonovan King, I'm guessing is how I say that. And he's, thank you. I appreciate that. He is a little bit of a question mark himself. He's had some great success in those other two games, but Mississippi state really kind of put the lockdown on him. So we're going to have to see what happens there. Thomas, again, we've talked about Clemson obviously at this point multiple times, but talk about their defense and what you expect to see on Saturday from them. Yeah. You know, it's, I feel like I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I mean, Clemson's defense is, is still ridiculous. I mean, they're, we're talking a top three defense in the country here. Uh, and they continue to, to be as, as good as they are. Um, they're the strength of this team, of course, offensive woes. Uh, they held Georgia Tech in that dogfight last week, held them to about two and a half yards of rush, under 300 yards total. You mentioned earlier how NC State's offense has had trouble in, uh, in some third long situations. That is absolutely where Clemson's front four 
and oftentimes they're linebackers because we know Venables likes to bring the blitz. They feast on third and long. They're able to pin their ears back. They're able to get pressure. Take makes things a heck of a lot easier on the back seven and the cornerbacks and the safeties back there. So I, I really, honestly, the only thing to say about this game as far as Clemson's defense against NC State's offense and vice versa is take the under in this game. I think the over-under is about 47 the last I checked. Take the under. This is probably going to be another ugly slugfest, and uh, it'll be a defensive shootout, I think. I agree. So that takes us into what has to happen for Clemson to win. So I would say for the two things for Clemson is that they've got to run the ball. Will Shipley may be able to write the ship there. they got to run the ball. And then from that, they got to make plays in the play action, deep vertical game. It's really their offense. I'm not worried about their defense. Like you just said, they're going to excel like they do. But their offense has got to get something going. They survived a bad Georgia Tech team. I don't know if their offense plays like they did last week that they can survive this NC State team. Thomas, what's Clemson need to do to win here? Two things, real simple. We mentioned earlier, you got to get DJ comfortable. He's, he's, he's not himself. He's a shell of himself. He's shaky back there. Give him a lot of early quick hitters, confidence-building throws. Number two, red zone offense. We mentioned earlier Tony Elliott, what's going on with him in the play calling. I noticed in the Georgia Tech game, they are running the ball down Georgia Tech's throat. They get inside the five. They've got three downs, maybe four downs to go and they run a shuffle pass for, for a negative play. You run the ball, stick to the game plan, do what works. I agree with you. So for NC State with me, it's got to be that they got to handle third down better. I just mentioned how bad they were in third and long against Mississippi State. They Two things, either get out of that, don't be in third and long, or play better in third and long, get turnovers DJ, it sounds like DJ's going to put the ball in, in risk sometimes. I bet he's going to start pressing. He's had some bad games. He's going to want to make some plays, confuse him, make him put the ball in danger and make the turnovers when you can. I've got Clemson winning this game, Thomas, but if I was betting or I was predicting, I'd call it a, a field goal game or less. Like, really, again, I agree with you. It's a low-scoring game, but it's, it's a 17-14, 20-21, you know, something like that. But Clemson, I have coming out on top, but not by much. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm, I'm looking at this game at, at possibly like a 24-10, maybe 13 type of game. I mean, really, for, for NC State, the keys I'm looking at, as we mentioned earlier, is keep DJ uncomfortable. Don't let him settle in. And number two, as you mentioned, is stay ahead of the change. Don't get in those third and longs and put yourself in those positions because otherwise you're going to keep turning the ball over and your defense is going to get tired and Clemson's going to find production. I completely understand. So here we go, moving into uh, Kentucky, coming to Columbia to play South Carolina. Uh, South Carolina, off, obviously, coming off a, an ugly loss to Georgia. Or excuse me, Georgia. I will say they played hard. They fought like crazy. We'll talk more about that as we get into this this breakdown. But ultimately, a lopsided score. Uh, Thomas, the SEC Network version of Game Day is here. What is that called? Do you know what it is? I have no idea. Okay, well, Tim Tebow's in town and 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 all that crowd. So, yay, woohoo, that's going to be happening. Um, so, starting off with Kentucky's offense. First of all, let's just get it out of the way. Kentucky can throw the ball. Kentucky's won a lot of games in the past several years, particularly against South Carolina, and they haven't been able to throw it. It's all been kind of Wildcat-esque. They have a more pro-style offense this year. They've got a quarterback in Will Tre- Levis, who is a transfer from Penn State, who has been a successful passer. They also have a new offensive coordinator. 
Liam Cohen is how I'm going to think that's said. Like the Cohen brothers, I'm pretty sure I got that right. You're he, on it. He comes from the Rams. Uh, of course, Sean McVay in, out in L.A., uh, the offensive wonder kid that he is who studied underneath John Gruden. You know, he's trying to bring – Cohen, that is, is trying to bring that style of offense to Kentucky and Lexington. He preaches balance. He, ha- he knows he has a good running game, but he does preach balance. And so far, he has shown that he wants to get under center and in the gun. He wants to, you know, again, be pro-style-esque, a little bit more uh, variety of formations and things like that, but wants to throw the ball. He is, uh, I mentioned Will Levis, Penn State transfer. He's got seven touchdowns and four interceptions on the season. I believe the last, uh, when they struggled in that last game against UT Chattanooga, he threw two interceptions, if I'm remembering correctly, and, you know, really kind of looked shaky there. Um, here's the other thing. Kentucky's had three straight home games, three straight home games, and, and you know, they've already played Missouri and beat them, got an SEC win on their on their record there, but they're all at home. They haven't played in front of a crowd since 2019. And from last I heard, the ticket sales for Williams Bryce on Saturday, under a thousand to a sellout. And it's a night game. We know the Gamecock tailgating fans that Thomas and I used to be in our younger days will be raucous and ready to go. Um, his top wide receiver right now is uh, Nebraska transfer, Waden or Waydell Robinson. Wandale. Say it again. Wandell. Wandell. That does not look like Juan. That's messed up. <laughs> um, uh, 18 receptions, 337 yards, two touchdowns, a big play threat. Um, I will go going back to the quarterback here, just like we talked about with NC State's quarterback. He has a tendency to force the ball on third down. I don't want to step on your defensive game plan for South Carolina, but if I'm if I'm Coach White, make him make mistakes on third down. He wants to, he wants to force it. Chris. Rodriguez has rushed for 125 yards and 206 yards in the first two games of the year. One of those against Missouri, the 206-yard game. But against UT Chattanooga, the most recent time out the gate, 46 yards. That is not a Kentucky recipe for victory. So Gamecocks and defense, I'm going to switch it over to you here, Thomas. Stop the run, but go ahead and tell us what you're expecting to see from Coach White and the boys when we, we roll it back out in Williams-Brice. Yeah, so, you know, one of the things that, that I'm looking at here is, and, and I want to take a little different approach here. I, you mentioned some things uh, that, that, uh, that Kentucky's had some issues with and some of their schematic things, but I want to talk about one thing first last week. Uh, some good and some bad from last week. Jabari Ellis looked fantastic on the defensive line. I consistently saw him uh, beat double teams, get into the backfield, played really heady. Um, Zach Pickens did not play well. I have not been really impressed with him of late. He's getting eat up by double teams. He's standing straight up. He's getting pushed around way too much. Um, Boogie Huntley, Taka Hemingway, those guys deserve some more time. They played really well up front. And so th- this is some of the things that I think we're going to see from South Carolina's defense against this offense. Um, as you mentioned earlier, with some of those pro concepts, UK likes to run a lot of two-man combo routes, some of those mesh routes, rub routes, try to get guys open off of those rubs. I think we're going to see from South Carolina here 
particularly on the boundary and the field side where the cornerbacks and some of the safeties are, you're going to see some cushion between the 20s. And what I mean is if you think back to the days of Ellis Johnson, it was a little bit of a bend-don't-break defense. You're going to give that cushion, keep everything in front of you between the 20s. You get inside the red zone, you're going to tighten down. So I think we're going to see some of that to keep things in front of us. Um, again, quarterback is – he's not a statue in the pocket, but he's not super mobile – at this point, but he, he can move around a little bit. Um, they like to run a lot of play action off bootlegs. We're going to have to have good edge containment, particularly from Enigbari on that side. Um, but you're absolutely right that Levis, um, I'm going to go with jeans for this guy, Levi's. Nice. Jeans is, is a little uncomfortable uh, if you get him moving. He's not nearly as effective when he's on the move. Even in situations I've noticed in the little bit that I've watched, even if he's simply manipulating the pocket and it's not exactly pressure, he's just not as effective there. So you're going to see some pressure coming. Um, I think South Carolina is definitely going to bring some edge blitzes. One of the things that I want people to be on the lookout for is if, if you notice in the South Carolina game last week, Cam Smith, DB for South Carolina, who has been playing very well at cornerback, he got picked on last week in a yeah. big way. He did not have a good night and they went after him time and time again. One of the things that, that I think UK is going to try to exploit with him is they've had a lot of success with smash route concepts. And, and as an explanation here, if you're looking at, at a smash route, and I'm going to try to explain this as best I can for listeners, if, if you're looking at two wide receivers, say, on the right side of the field, the inside guy is in the slot, he's off the line, outside guy is on the line. Inside slot receiver is going to run a deep corner route, 10, 12 yards up the field and break it on a 45 degree angle to the pylon outside guy is going to run a hitch, you know, six, seven yards, turn around and face the quarterback. What is significant here is the way that Kentucky uses this is particularly against zone defenses. It puts that cornerback in a really tough position. If they're in a cover two, that cornerback has to make a decision whether he's going to drop down on that hitch route or he's going to stay with the corner route. It can open up those deep routes. It's similar. We've mentioned in past episodes to the levels concept where you basically got a high, low read. You've got to make a decision one way or the other. It can also end up putting some of your slower linebackers in coverage. We now know that Damani Staley may be on the field now that Sherrod Green is out, doesn't have nearly the coverage skills or the speed for that. So be on the lookout for that. It could be a help that South Carolina runs some of that, that four, two, five, um, you can have a, a cornerback and man on the outside, wide receiver and a safety or a linebacker on that slot. So just be on the lookout for that because I definitely think that UK is going to go after Cam Smith, but South Carolina's defense has to continue to get pressure on Levis and keep him out of rhythm. I agree with you there. And I think, in my opinion, just, just to tag on to that, yes, you're right. There were several guys who played well in Athens. Jabari stood out. Um, J.J. Enigbare obviously stood out as he's been standing out all year. I also agree with you. Zach Pickens really has got to step up his game or it's time to start using somebody else in that spot. He's getting blown up. Um, shout out to Jalen Foster playing a great game at safety there, being, you know, eyes up, ready for the ball. You know, to me, with South Carolina, I think you're going to need, because you just mentioned about the speed we've lost at linebacker, I don't know, uh, I haven't researched Coach White's defense enough to know for sure, but I think he does a little bit of this. I'd like to see some zone blitzing. Let's bring the linebacker that's behind J.J. on a blitz and let J.J. drop back into coverage. 
I feel like Levis will force the ball because that first thought's going to be okay. That linebacker's vacated that spot. I've got an easy slant. Big tall JJ and Igbare stands up and he's right there in the path of the ball to at least knock it down. He is a good athlete. I'd love to see that happen some, but I'm not saying, you know, we can't get to the rusher. But I think because we do at this point, we now know, and we kind of knew this coming into the year and maybe let ourselves talk ourselves out of this, or maybe I did. Our speed at the second level, linebackers and, and, and secondary, isn't the best. And so we're going to have to maybe get a little creative there and lull some guys into some mistakes because I don't know that we can just run with guys like we would like to and hopefully will in the future. All right, switching gears to South Carolina's offense. Thomas, you're going to have to do a good job of keeping me on time here because we're going to talk a lot of offensive line right now, and I'm going to get on my soapbox, and I'm going to get fired up, and I'm going to just – have to go to town. But before I get there, I want to talk very briefly. Doty, Luke Doty showed he is the man, showed the development that we all wanted to see in the offseason. He is a much more polished passer, still has some things to learn than he was last year in his brief appearances as a quarterback. That that uh, screen that ended up for an interception, I'm not putting that fully on him. A little bit of a touch the pass there, though. Don't dart that in there. That's the danger when you do that. It bounces off your running back shoulder pad. He needs to catch the ball. Don't get me wrong. That's Kevin Harris. But just something that has a nuance of playing the game and the spot that you'll get. Um, whatever we're paying Justin Stepp at wide receiver coach, I want that to be doubled, and I want it to be doubled now. Um, Josh Van ended up uh, on the You Got Moss segment on Monday night for jumping over a guy, had some great, great plays. Um, you know, obviously Brown with his insane one-handed catch, if it wasn't for the interception by the Oklahoma DB uh, in the Oklahoma-Nebraska uh, game, he'd have probably been the catch of the day. So all of those things are great. Okay, so what's not great? Very simply put, the offensive line. The offensive line is not playing well right now. And here's the situation. What's the issue? Coach Satterfield said it again today. He said it after the game. Coach Beamer said it after the game. And in his weekly press conference, communication's the issue. Well, what does that mean? Guys, this is not rec league football. It's not hat on hat. It's not come across the ball and hit the guy and cross from you. Now, given where we had situations where guys were just standing watching and not hitting somebody, I will say I would prefer them to hit somebody in that situation. My coach used to always say, if you're not sure who to hit, hit somebody. Don't just stand there and watch. You can pay a, a fee and get a ticket if you're going to watch the game. But there's some <laughs> communication issues, and it's obvious because we have free runners. You know, they pointed it out on the telecast again uh, when we were playing that you had guys just running by guards in particular, and that's because the guard thinks someone else is picking that linebacker up or whoever that player is up. That all comes from communication from the line. Also, it's a part of identifying what the defense is doing. At the high school and college level, typically that is the center's job. The center is going to get up and either identify a Mike linebacker, meaning the middle linebacker, or he's going to identify that he's in an even or odd front or both. Odd meaning someone's over him, even meaning there's two guys on the guards. And that's very important because when you start doing any kind of pass protection system, it could be a numbering system, it can be a gap system, it doesn't matter. You've got to talk. Cup protection, that traditional 
pro-kick style of protection we see on Sundays against the, in the NFL is, is, is what makes left tackles millionaires on top of millionaires because it's very hard to do. So there's some talk about the fact that the quarterbacks in our system under Coach Satterfield are involved in identifying the front. Okay, other systems do that mostly at the pro level. I don't like it. I'm just going to be perfectly blunt. I don't like it. The quarterback has enough to think about when he's a college kid and not a professional football player who does nothing else but study professional football playing. And they've got to really think about that. Steve Spurrier's offense, which we all know how successful it was, you the quarterback called the protection in the huddle, but he didn't know anything about it. He called the protection and moved on. His job was to recognize the linebackers and secondary. I want to see that. Which brings me to my next point. Stick to the basics. Like Coach Kilmer on Varsity Blues used to say, stick to the basics. Our dummy O's aren't communicating well. Stick to the basics. All right? Let's not make it more complicated. This is a chess match. But it doesn't have to be so highbrow. So that brings me to a point. If I was the offensive line coach, what would I do? I'd get away from cut protection. I'd go tell Coach Satterfield, we're not doing it well right now. We can adjust the call, and let's do the slide protection. We're going to slide to the right. We're going to slide to the left. We might clap our hands like the Cupid Shuffle, Thomas's favorite song. But <laughs> literally, in slide protection, if you're sliding right, all five offensive linemen are going one gap to the right. If no one shows up in that gap, you are literally going to hinge Turn your back and face away from the play. Why is that? You're catching free runners. And it's a, as an offensive lineman, I can tell you, it is fun. Because you think you got line, linebackers think they're coming through free. They don't see you waiting on them. You tee off. You can't do it as much as you used to because of helmet-to-helmet contact. Get away from cup. Go to slide protection. It's easier to do if everybody does it right. We're going to talk about when we didn't do it right on Saturday. The next thing. Sprint Luke Doty out. I had a coach one time tell me, when in doubt, sprint him out. Sprint your quarterback out. Move the pocket. Don't make him a sitting duck back there. Move him to the left. Move him to the right. We used to do this with Connor Shaw all the time by design. Do it. Luke Doty is mobile. Zeb was not that guy. Love Zeb. Thanks for what you did. Put the headset on. Keep it on. Let's put Luke out there and let him run around. Move the pocket. Sprint him out. Move him one side to the other. Next, when we have blocked well, Thomas, particularly even on Saturday, third and 13 early in the game, Zeb Nolan throws a great vertical pass to Josh Van. Everybody picks up their man. It's a thing of beauty. Everybody blocks. Now, there were plenty of offensive linemen in that situation that were getting beat, but they held long enough their block to get the ball off. Same thing on third and nine later in the first half. Again, Josh Van, Luke Doty, another vertical pass. Great plays, great blocking. When it wasn't blocked well, we tried to slide left on that ill-advised, Thomas, I know you liked it, ill-advised touchdown, or excuse me, passing attempt out of our own end zone late in the first half. It took too long to develop, but also Gwen did not, know what he was doing. He wasn't sure where to go or what to do. Didn't know if he should help with Davis on, at nose with the center, Eric Douglas, or help Wanham with his man. Ended up doing the old, do I go left? Do I go right? Crap, I didn't block anybody. We just got a safety. 
So again, I say it, stick to the basics. Get better in the red zone. Get better in the red zone. We were inside the 22 times in the first quarter and came away with two field goals. You can't do it. Got to score touchdowns when you're playing good teams. Simplify it or, or make sure the communication is better. It's got something has to change because this is an offensive line that can be productive. And right now they're getting in their own way and it's the system. I'm not saying it's being taught badly. I'm not saying it's a bad system, but right now it's not working the way it's supposed to. Got to be corrected. Thomas, tell us about UK's defense. Yeah, you know, you mentioned it earlier with uh, Kentucky um, as far as their their wins here and eked out one against UT Chattanooga FCS school last week. But I, I really don't put a whole lot of stock into that game. I, I honestly think that uh, Kentucky offensively and defensively to an extent was 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 kind of using that as a tune-up game, working some things out, trying some different things schematically, and also looking ahead. I mean, if, if you look at the series between South Carolina and Kentucky, I mean, we don't need to go down that road. But for the most part, say for a year or two here or there, Kentucky is South Carolina's number. So Kentucky's going to come in here pissed off, fired up. Again, this is going to be their Super Bowl, and it infuriates me. As long as we don't see any wildcat, I'll be okay. But defensively, defensively, this is a uh, defensive coordinator, Brad White, third-year defensive coordinator, um, Good coach. He's a linebacker coach as well. Uh, listeners may remember Josh Allen from Kentucky developed him into a first rounder, I believe. Um, their base defense is a 3-4. They play a little bit of a passive scheme, kind of like I mentioned earlier. Ben, don't break between the 20s. Keep everything in front of them. Um, did notice against Missouri, uh, Missouri, who averaged 4.3 yards a carry against them, there were a lot of missed tackles in that game. Um, so I think fundamentally they're susceptible there. They are led by uh, senior defensive end Josh Pascal. Moved him from linebacker. Um, he, he is a potential top 50 guy NFL draft. Um, he doesn't have the speed to consistently bend that edge and set that edge and, and really use speed rushes. He's not the most athletic, but he's got good straight line speed. He can blow up some of those inside gaps. So I, I really think that that South Carolina offensively will try to take advantage of that bend, don't break, and just eat up some chunks down the field and see how that goes. Um, so really looking for – it could be an entertaining game offensively. I hear you. All right, so let's get into it. What are two things Kentucky needs to do to win? In my opinion, establish the run, get Chris Rodriguez going, um, and, and have the play action passing again off that. I know that's a similar theme, but it's really what a lot of offensive schemes are based around. And I think this is probably the most important, handling our front four. If you remember to the ECU game, South Carolina really shut down that ECU offense, which, by the way, went last week and put the, a pretty good beatdown on, on um, Marshall. They have to handle that pressure because if we can get to Levis and we can get him moving around and get him, un, getting, get him uncomfortable – get his eyes down on the rush and not up on the linebackers and secondary with only four guys that spells disaster for them. So really establishing the run, handling our front four. what's Kentucky need to do in your opinion to win Thomas. You know, really protect that pocket. We mentioned earlier, he's, he's not super comfortable when he's moved around like that and continue to run the ball. Kentucky has ran the ball really well and they could really wear down South Carolina's defense here. Absolutely. All right. So Carolina, I mean, I, I feel like it's obvious what I'm going to say here. 
fix the offensive line, get these calls right. You've got five guys, probably six or seven guys that are capable SEC offensive linemen. I'm just going to say it. Ability-wise, they can do it. Get the mental game right and let's stop shooting ourselves in our own feet. Score touchdowns in the red zone. Stop looking for the perfect play. Stop looking for the fir- the perfect formation, the perfect personnel. Dance with the guys who got you there. Keep going. Don't overthink it. Play football. Score in the red zone. Thomas, what do you got for Carolina to win? You mentioned it earlier. Communication is huge. We cannot have offensive linemen literally not touching anybody. Number two is contain that running game. Good fundamental tack- tackling. Rodriguez for Kentucky averaged – three yards after contact last week, even though despite an average of 0.77 rush yards before contact, the dude breaks tackles. We got to wrap him up and can't let him kill us with big chunk plays. Absolutely. And I do want to mention this real quick before we kind of say who we think is going to win this game. Coach Beamer said, I believe it was Monday during his press conference that on a couple plays in Athens, South Carolina had three linemen blocking a run play and two linemen blocking a pass play. Obviously, that can't happen. It's got to stop. Whatever the communication piece is, whatever the audible piece is, let's get it straight. I think South Carolina at home, 7 o'clock, Kentucky's first road game, South Carolina team that is really, really bonding, looks to build themselves. I think the defense carries. I think South Carolina comes away with this. ESPN's predictor has South Carolina at a 56% potential uh, win there. Thomas, what are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, this one is really hard to handicap. I mean, I think this is going to be a touchdown game either way. Uh, I'll keep my garnet glasses on, and I'll say South Carolina 27-21. Gotcha. All right. So that takes us to the game of the week, Texas A&M against Arkansas. We're going to start off with Texas's offense. Daryl Dickey is their third-year offensive coordinator. He has been an offensive coordinator for a long, long time in the college game, uh, along with being a little bit uh, of a head coach here and there early. And Jimbo Fisher is heavily involved in the offense. He's a former offensive coordinator. He, he's got a very good offensive mind, so he's going to have an input there. Um, they are looking to be a little spread-like. They're going to be in the gun. Kellen, Kellen Mon has moved on to or mode, whatever his last name is, has moved on to Minnesota, uh, the Vikings to play quarterback up there, at least as a backup right now. The issue is that they uh, have lost their starting quarterback against Colorado. Haynes King was their starter and he went down against the Buffs. And now they've had to bring in Thomas. There's no way I'm saying this right. Zach. <laughs> Calzada, Calzado, Calzado, and, and, and let it be known that Haynes King also was my QB two in our fantasy league, so I had to drop him. Oh, that's very upsetting. So we're on the backup quarterback. Interestingly enough, that I like about A uh, and M, they like to use a power running scheme. Really big on the counter guard tackle counter with their very very good running back. Isaiah Spiller, um, and, and they love to use him in the counter and in power, spread you out, run it down your throat. It's the type of offense I like. Uh, really have some impressive things going on with, uh, with them going against Arkansas. Thomas, what's the Arkansas defense look like? 
You know, it's this this game. Honestly, when we chose this as the game of the week, I wasn't nearly as excited about it as I am now. When I really dug into this game, I'm pretty fired up about it. And and looking at the uh, the Arkansas defensive side of it, defensive coordinator Barry Odom, SEC fans will probably remember him from his Missouri days. Um, likes to run a three man front. Arkansas was really big and deep this year on defense up front. Linebackers are a little bit smaller, really good eyes. They read well, but the linebackers are the key to this pass defense for Arkansas. We know that that Jimbo is going to have AM's offense, notwithstanding <laughs> that they're working in this, this newer quarterback. He's going to be throwing some uh, pro style sets and some, some exotic looks and route concepts. But this Arkansas defense, along with AM's defense, top two pass defenses in the SEC. Could really be interesting to see some of those matchups. Um, but the linebackers are really the key to this pass defense. They don't blitz much. They run a lot of cover three, read routes, and the quarterback really well. Most of the time, you're going to see them only bring in three. Uh, but they play the deep ball, make the offenses work for it. As you mentioned earlier, AM is uh is is some heavy outside zone. They're going to try to hit the corner out there. So the linebackers for this Arkansas defense need to be quick on their feet, let the front three do their job and force it back up the middle, and then they can clean it up. Um, one of the things I have noticed is that the, the offensive line for AM has been a little susceptible to confusion from stunts, <clears throat> excuse me, stunts and delayed blitzes. So I think uh, Arkansas's defense is definitely going to try to exploit that. And finally, you know, Calzado struggles on the move a little bit and under pressure. They're going to use um, a lot of 21 personnel play action, quick throws to try to get him comfortable. I feel like that's a, that's a resounding theme this week for quarterbacks, but, but it's true in this instance. So I think this uh, it's, I've never, obviously never been an Arkansas fan, but th- this is, this is a fun team this year and I'm kind of excited to see what they can do. Absolutely. Um, Arkansas offense, I mentioned this at the top of the show. I love Sam Pittman. I love what he's doing in Fayetteville. Former offensive line coach for a very long time, getting his first chance as a head coach, and has brought in a lot of head coaching experience. Guys, you mentioned Barry Odom from Missouri, now defensive coordinator. Highly, highly, highly thought of. I'm speaking of Sam Pittman here in the coaching community, and it was like guys were lining up to coach with him, and it's starting starting to to you know, turn in Fayetteville. And I'm like you, I, I've never hugely been an Arkansas fan, obviously, but I don't know why, but I've always just had a certain level of respect for them. I think, you know, they have had to really fight and claw for everything they had. You know, of course, I, I don't, I don't want to go back to the days of uh, Felix Jones and uh, what was the other running back that 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 McFadden. Lou McFadden that like that when they got drafted the NFL draft it was all against us like every highlight that they showed was South Carolina at least, at least Petrino's gone now dude. yeah yeah so true 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 so anyway switching back to the current uh, Arkansas team Dan Enos is uh, is it Enos or Onus Enos we'll go with Enos Smith. Yep, sir. Perfect. Um, he is a third-year offensive coordinator there. Highly thought of in the coaching community. Again, another shotgun-based, three to four wide type roles here. Very similar to what you see around college football all over the place. Dual threat quarterback in KJ Jefferson. Really more of a run-first type of guy. He can throw the ball. I'm not saying this is Kentucky of a few years ago. He can throw the ball, but they want to keep him in quick, easy passing game 
type situations and then let him use his legs when he is designed runs. That's kind of how they want to play the game. They don't want to get into a, he throws the ball 40 times a game situation. That's not their offense right now. So that's really a big thing. Very zone scheme oriented. Again, very common around college football. Thomas, tell us a little bit about Texas A&M's defense. All right, so we got uh, defense coordinator Mike Elko, fourth-year defense coordinator for A&M. One of the things, and I wanted to briefly mention his scheme first because I didn't know a lot of this until I dug into this game, but runs that 4-2-5 defense that I love so much. Um, But he's he's interesting as a defensive play caller. He he is what I like to call a a down-and-distance play caller. He literally charts everything out to where, all right, if if it's first and 10, I'm looking for this. If it's second and 10, I'm treating it like it's third and five as far as my play calls. He also is, is, is famous for, at a lot of coaching clinics, he's been quoted, as, quoted before as uh, people will ask him about defensive scheme. And when he talks about defensive scheme, he says, forget it. It doesn't matter. He was like, scheme doesn't matter as long as you've got athletes and they're playing with good fundamentals, good tackling, and they're in the right position and taking good angles. Any defense can be successful. And I think there's some merit to that. So that's kind of how he approaches things defensively. Um, they are currently the top scoring defense and passing defense, giving up a paltry 77.3 yards a game in the country, fourth in sacks in the SEC. Um, this defense, this, this is what I think is going to come down to. You mentioned earlier about that Arkansas, Arkansas's offense and their run game. And we know that Sam Pittman, an offensive line guy, they got they like to have the big uglies up there that can push them around. And they are a run-heavy offense. This AM defense, it, it, it is difficult to run east-west on this defense and, and, and get the edges. But here's where AM's gonna have trouble. Arkansas likes to run a lot of those cut back outside zones and cut back to the middle and hit those inside gaps. And a lot of their inside zone, a lot of their big chunk plays have been A-gap runs right off the center's rear end. Mm-hmm. a defense has a lot of difficulty with that. So I think you're going to see a lot of that. That's where they're going to look to exploit this defense. As far as hitting the edge for that east-west running, they're gonna, the, I'm going to look at them to attack that with a lot of zone read and try to exploit some of the defensive end and the reads there. But this could be, if you like good, as we like to say back in the day, smash mouth football, you can get a lot of that this week. Absolutely. I agree with you there. So two things uh, for Texas A&M to do to win. Don't turn the ball over. Number one, don't put the ball in danger. And easy as it sounds, get Spiller the ball. He's a, a dual threat runner, and, excuse me, running back, and the fact that he is a great runner and great pass catcher. Get him involved on both sides of that coin. Get him in the passing game, wheel routes, swings, even some, uh, some screens and maybe even a slant or two or an angle. Get him involved there to help the quarterback who is the backup. Texas A&M, Thomas, what do they need to do to win? You, you said to say, I, I'm with you, don't turn the ball over, especially with this quarterback. They're going to try to make him uncomfortable, turn the ball over again. Don't want to sound like a broken record. But also is get Arkansas behind the chains in long yardage situations. Look, I'm not saying that, that Arkansas is a bad passing team. They have a good passing game. But the strength of this offense is the run game. So if you can put them in those long yardage situations, you can really pin your ears back as a defense and get after it. 
I agree with you there. So for Arkansas to win two things, stay in good down and distance. I mentioned that KJ Jefferson is, is, is a good passer. I'm not saying he's not, but Arkansas does not want to get in third and 10, third and 12. They want to be third and five, third and four, where they have a run pass option there. They, they want to stay on schedule, as I've talked about a lot of times on here. And finally, make the big play. Every game, there's a big play to be had. Steve Spurrier was always famous for saying there's about three or four plays a game that decide the winner. So for Arkansas, when those three or four plays present themselves to you, make those plays. If it's a big run, if it's a turnover, you got to take advantage of that. Get old Uncle Mo on your side and keep rolling. Uh, Thomas, what do you think Arkansas needs to do to win? Keep doing what, what, what's got them here is uh, keep that run game going um, and just play smart football. Honestly, is just be strong up front and don't let that defense exploit you and, and get after that. It's really just – I'm just going with one, man. Keep running the football, doing what they're doing. Absolutely. I, I don't know if it's just because I feel like I love seeing Arkansas make this run that they've kind of been making early, early on this season with a win against Texas – I'm picking the Razorbacks here. Uh, I think they can win this ball game. Maybe if uh, Texas A&M starting quarterback was still healthy, I might feel differently. I'm taking Arkansas here to win this ball game. Thomas, what do you think? You know, and I think I just realized this. Um, as I said, I don't want to say that I've, I'm ever pulling for Arkansas, being a fan from him, but I think I just realized it's Sam Pittman. He's a yeah. How can you not like the guy? That's right. And, and so it's he kind of came into this league as like, look at this guy. You know, he's kind of like a, a you know, a, among this elite coaching crew, and uh, has really started to put it together. But this game is a And M in Arkansas, and of course, this game is 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 in Arlington, Jerry World, AT and T Stadium. A and M and Arkansas have played at AT and T nine times since two thousand nine, and nine only, times, nine times. That's how many times he's been absent. Nine times. This, this only two of those games have been decided by more than one score. So, and I don't think this is going to be any different. I'm looking at like a 27 21 type game. Um, honestly, I think Arkansas is going to come out on top. And this is the 330 CBS game, right? That's right. Yeah, that's a big one. That, that's a good that's a good matchup to be in there. All right, folks, that's it for this week. Make sure you follow us on social media at slightly above average football fan. That is at SAA football fan on all social media, Instagram and Twitter on Facebook. We are our slightly above average football fan Facebook page. We are on Spotify. We are on Google. We are on Apple Podcasts. Spread the word. We hear all the time from the folks who listen to us how in-depth this show is from real football folks. And then from folks who are learning the game, they we hear on Twitter and, and whatnot about, hey man, y'all taught me something this week. If you love football, share it with somebody. If you want to get somebody more involved in the game, share it with somebody rate like review and subscribe that's how the word gets out about us thomas another great one yeah man looking forward to the weekend and to the listeners if you're in vegas hammer the under on all of them this weekend hit that under hard have a good one everybody